the presenting sponsor of On Education is Participate. If you're a parent, recent weeks have proven to be extremely difficult. The last thing you need to worry about is online safety. The I Can Help community on Participate has a free course for parents on encouraging positivity with increased social media use during this time. Visit participate.com slash on education to start connecting and learning together for free. I have found that a teacher's favorite price is free. And so, um, (laughs) you know... Welcome to On Education, part of the On Podcast Media Network. My name is Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will debate whether virtual conferences are worth your time. We will give you our takeaways and reflections from distance learning thus far. And our guest this week is educator and author, Matt Miller. So what do you have against McDonald's coffee? I saw this tweet. <laughs> you don't like McDonald's coffee at all? I just think it's hilarious. But it's it's my favorite um what do you call this? Uh fake Twitter accounts. What do you call these fake Twitter accounts? I can't even yeah, think of parody what parody accounts. Uh, parody accounts. It's my favorite parody account to get mad at. And I don't even know why I get so it's mad. The it's the modest like, teacher. Yeah, I wanna I I I get riled up and it's this parody account of someone just posting all kinds of different stuff. Some of it has to do with education. Some of it doesn't. And it riles me up and I don't, and I have, I had to respond to it today. It was so stupid, but he basically, or she, cause it could be either one of the two. I don't want to discriminate. Um, puts, this is their statement for everyone getting excited about the Starbucks teacher tumbler. Just remember that Starbucks is a, Ripoff. A large drip <laughs> coffee costs a dollar at McDonald's. Just saying. So it just reminds me, first of all, that's and I just responded with a smart aleck response. And I just said something to the effect of if that's Well, you called compar- McDonald's coffee sludge. That's yeah, the part if, I actually if remember. You're com- if you're comparing those two, if you said if you don't taste the difference between Starbucks and McDonald's coffee then yes, continue buying that sludge they call coffee at McDonald's. <laughs> oh so anyway, it is it, 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 for people that actually drink coffee like I do, it, there is a humongous difference, and it ranges very much so for coffee drink coffee drinking so i couldn't tell you what the difference is yeah no and that's what i i knew that right away and i had actually already started having conversations uh with the other parts uh the other members of the uh, education team because i figured you you're trying to get you're trying to find ways to drink coffee that that actually are appealing you're still you're still trying to get acquire that taste right i don't yeah i drink one coffee in the morning that's it for those of us that see a good comparison though in a a debate would be something like starbucks versus caribou coffee that's like Mm. two major brands Mm. and they the coffees are definitely they are both high quality coffees but they taste different too and i actually love both of them and i would say that's a good debate when you say mcdonald's versus um, Starbucks, it's kind of like saying, hey, you do know you can buy ground beef for two fifty a pound instead of buying that ripoff filet mignon <laughs> at $17 the, a pound. So that's this, the comparison we're talking about? That is the comparison that we're actually talking about. For people that are actually coffee drinkers, 
they understand. And actually, uh, Starbucks is only, if we're going to go on a tier system, it's only like, you know, the best tier would be like tier one. Uh, Starbucks it might be a tier two coffee. There's better coffees uh, yeah. too that are that are local brew or lo- local roasters. Sorry, that make amazing coffees. I had some coffees that I brought back from Costa Rica that were just fantastic. Blew away Starbucks. Yeah. Um, so there are like some there's, better there's ones. A, there's a there's like an eighty dollar bottle of Scotch, which is generally regarded as like super good. Yes. and then there's five thousand dollar <laughs> bottles of Scotch. And that is like the creme de creme. Right. <laughs> yes. Right. In, in Canada, they um, they always compare Tim Hortons and Starbucks. Those are like the two. Oh, and I've never had the, Tim Hortons. So I'd be yeah. happy to have that uh, debate. When I go to Canada, I'm going to go to Tim Hortons with you. I'll take you, yeah. Yes. We'll, and let's, we'll do it. And let's taste it. And then I'm going to tell you, yes, you, this is good coffee. Or I'll go... Nah, <laughs> I think <laughs> I, I, I think your boys and my boys, I think we'd have a grand old time hanging out up here. And, yeah, uh, swimming hanging out by the pool. pool. Yeah, swimming in the pool. The pool is uh, quickly when we when we opened it up on the weekend. Um, it was uh, sixty four, which is Ooh, obviously like chilly. freezing cold. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's all the way up to like seventy six now, so it Ooh. is rapidly warming up, and uh, I'm almost ready to swim in it. It's <laughs> not quite. When it gets to about eighty five, yeah. then that's like Mike temperature. 80. 80, <laughs> eighty is my eighty is the magic number okay. uh, for for pool water for me. Uh, Cheryl, it's like eighty one, eighty two. Yeah, um, we had it up to eighty seven um, last summer at one point, which is so. It's it is that's amazing just the best yeah <laughs> 87 so sounds fantastic yeah so like barbecue little pool, coffee i guess coffee pool. at uh tim hortons is that what you call it man yeah, yeah it okay. isn't so bad all right <laughs> nationalized <laughs> Some, health someday when we could actually get yes yeah, so when we can uh i could actually cross the border yeah you can travel <laughs> exactly that's so funny so speaking yeah. of travel though yes um we were we were um thinking about it today and it, it, there's no we're not going anywhere man we I know. i'll tell you i'll tell you um you know sucks so bad i don't know how hard i want to like uh, how much i want to talk about this specific thing but we had big plans for isti like uh. like the biggest of big plans the biggest um, of big plans, and we had everything confirmed. Basically, we were just going to work out the details of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we were given we, we were given an unbelievable opportunity. Um, yeah, I don't think I want to say more, but maybe we'll be able to have that still happen, though. I, I, I it's you know, possible, if, if, if but ISTI you might not happen be able to even in, come. Well, if ISTI does really happen, which. I have a hard time believing that it really will happen in November. Hot take. Because that's what they said. They're rescheduling yep. it for November. If yep. if it does happen for November, I'm going to make every effort to get there. Okay. So, I mean, especially because we have a unique opportunity to just basically do continue to the work that we've been doing. And I was thinking about just not being able to do, go to any conferences this summer just super sucks. Yeah. It does, and it's it's like we we go and we go to ISTI and hell. Think about the year before that, though, Mike, or last year. I remember that you, during this week you were prepping 
your bag for like four weeks of consecutive travel that you were going to be doing at like 12 Te- conferences. Texas. Yes. That you yeah. were going to go one after another. Yeah. Um, and all of the different, see, this is June. the part where. I was where, gone all of June. Yeah. And so no physical conferences. And we're talking about ISTE. We always went to Batch Summit the day before ISTE sure. uh, with Noah Geisel. Um, went to things like Schoology Next. Uh, mm-hmm. And then other conferences too, Serious Play and and a whole bunch of other opportunities that were in the summer. Local conferences for me that were you know just around the state. And then you went all over Canada. I mean, all over. Freaking everywhere in Canada. Yeah. Nova <laughs> and, Scotia. Yeah. Yeah. You were just BC, traveling everywhere. Calgary. I, I, yeah. I, last year was huge for traveling. And this yeah. year it's, it's, I, I travel from my desk to my couch <laughs> and then back to my desk. I, this is the extent of my travel now. It's, so- it's the four feet that I can almost touch my couch from my yeah. desk. And that is, um, how far I travel now. So I was trying to think of like, why is it that I'm really sad about the conferences? And it's Mm. honestly, it has nothing to do with sessions. No. So people out there, if you're thinking about like, you know, sessions or whatever it be, so much learning and connections and meaningful friendships have developed over the years. Oh, the one in Milwaukee, the spark conference. I was just thinking, I was like, there's something else too that I'm missing. Um, and so many friendships have have truly like come to life because we've been able to go to these conferences, really connect with other amazing educators and speakers, and really get to know them, and hang out and go to dinner and do things. And that's the part that I'm going to miss. I'm going to miss all of those people. You know, Noah Geisel is at every conference. I love you know any moment that I can spend around Noah. And I could think of this whole list of people that I that I was like looking forward to just hanging out with and just spending some time with, and that is no longer going to happen. So yeah. I'm sad. No, no <laughs> ice cream with Mandy and Tisha. I know, which God. makes me upset. We're we're sad. So, uh, I mean, well. but but it, one thing that it it does, um, one thing it has spawned is that everyone. <laughs> In the notes I wrote, everyone and their mother is putting on a virtual conference. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. There's a lot it's, of virtual conferences going to happen. Yes. There's a lot of virtual conferences. And the thing is, is there are a lot of virtual conferences. or con- We're going to put conference in air quotes for a minute yeah. uh, also. Um, that that wouldn't have, that weren't like on the books as real conferences like like in-person conferences um that are that are popping up and um you know I I think that one of the things that's you know cost hmm. uh of putting on a a real person like when you think of something like Imp- impact education conference it's yeah. you know three floors of a hotel uh catering two meals a day every day for 3 days um you know it just those costs alone not to mention the the speaker fees and stuff like that um you know i guarantee you a conference like that costs in the in, close to or more than $100,000 like a, oh, a couple easy. hundred thousand dollars yeah right easy, easy. so you know when that cost is now basically removed and to get a speaker all you have to do is 
potentially even pay them. And who knows if some of the these pop-up conferences are paying their speakers. Mm-hmm. But certainly all they have to do is sit in front of their computer like we do doing a podcast and bam, you have a keynote. Um, and it's like, um, you know, the biggest expense now for a virtual conference is your time. Um, mm-hmm. just to promote it and create kind of graphics and work on make sure the contracts and all of that stuff and the schedule and 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 all of that um that's that's basically you know what's happening is you yeah. know everyone's but, everyone's making a virtual conference but the if you on build a virtual conference okay, yeah before you say the on education one but Ugh. if you build a virtual conference <laughs> right it's like that movie. Will they come? <laughs> you build a baseball field. Will they come? Will they come to the virtual conference? See, and that's the part I'm I'm thinking through is like, sure. A, so many people are super uncomfortable with this format, as far as just this this uh, virtual format. Um, that I'm I'm talking about educators even on uh, and them being able to to attend a conference and attend yeah. sessions and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but you were thinking on education summit, I, it's something I've always <laughs> wanted to do, right? We've talked about this a million times. I, and, and in fact, yeah. went through some planning, um, with folks, um, about it as well. Um, I, I think doing something like this would actually kill me. <laughs> Like I would, you don't need to put die. that on top of everything else that you're. No, I don't doing. get time for that nonsense. No. Now, listen. If someone, if someone wants to create the on education yeah. summit, run it for us. I'll pay you. Oh, uh, hey, oh, we're sure. sending that out there, people. Come on, and we'll put. But you got to be like, you got to have a resume that suggests real. that you can actually do it. <laughs> There's only like literally two people that I know in my Rolodex. You know, do we have Rolodexes anymore? I don't know, but there's only two people that I know that you know could do it the way that I would expect. And and so I don't know. I don't yeah, know, man. Interesting. Uh, hmm. I, I he put it out know, there. Putting it Get the universe. My friend, sli- my friend Nicole would say she's sli- putting it out into the universe. <laughs> Slide into Mike's DMs. Slide into my with DMs. your resume and proposal for the speaking of actually summit. sliding, yeah, okay. yeah, totally. Speaking yeah, yeah. of sliding into DMs, um, yeah. if if um, Minecraft Dungeons came out today, ooh, I know, I saw you guys playing right? it today, you and Steve. Yeah, yeah, we're recording on Tuesday. We normally record on Mondays, but it's Tuesday the twenty sixth, and Minecraft Dungeons is out. And listen, if you want to play Minecraft Dungeons with me. Because that's what I'm going to be playing for like the next <laughs> ever. Um, you know, slide into my DMs on that too. Um, <laughs> You're ready. Yeah, I think we're going to play right after this is done. Awesome. Um, and it's going to be great. I'm really excited. Um, so, yes, the school year's wrapping up in I know. a lot of places. You uh, were watching your high school graduation today. Yep, the seniors are graduating today, and they are doing just a super innovative idea. Uh, there is the the state of the Department of Education in Minnesota gave guidelines on graduations, and um, one of the the guy we've obviously we're following the guidelines, and there couldn't be an actual physical graduation 
I'm putting in air quotes. So they, uh, what our school did is basically what resembles to me, uh, for those of us that are old enough to remember drive-in theaters, uh, drive-in movies, uh, they rented a ginormous screen. Uh, only specific people were allowed on the stage so that we, you know, you keep uh, social distancing and everybody else stayed in their, stays in their cars and then they have the whole entire ceremony and it's all streamed through YouTube. Everybody can watch it live. So they're actually seeing the physical stage or they can pull it up on their phones, be able to listen to it on the radio also. So it's kind of cool. I like that part because if you ever remember as far as on the drive-in movies, there was this little speaker system that you set on your windowsill of your car and that was the actual audio for the movie. Um, so that's, that reminded me of that, that the actual local radio station was running broadcasting the signal of the the um the valedictorian the principal speaking and so on and so forth the speeches um and so then after that they're going to have a parade where they drive their vehicles through the uh town of sock rapids um and every all the community members are all lining up this basically a parade route is the best way to describe it where they're going to be cheering them on as they go through this it was super cool a unique way of being able to have um a a graduation and so yeah the the year is ending this week for us and i know that's in some states like new jersey specifically in new york i know for sure they're going like two or three weeks into june so it's like more similar or uh kind of like what you guys have in Ontario, correct, right, Mike? Where you yeah, guys are, yeah, you there's, guys still, go, there's still a whole month left. You guys still go about two or three more weeks or four more weeks. Yeah, right till the end of June. Ooh. And so anyway, because it's the end, and this is the end of emergency slash distance learning, we have begun as a instructional coaches and uh, administrators have started putting out surveys uh, to kind of, get everybody's reflections on like, what did we learn, you know, from this? What can we take away from this? Uh, what could we have done better, et cetera, and so on and so forth. So I figured, Hey, what, what can we say? I've all of this stuff it started in March. Um, and for many of us, we've been out of school basically since, uh, sometime in March and now through the end of basically the year, what can we take away from that? What can we, what can we bring into next year, no matter what happens as far as what type of school year we have for next year? So that's kind yeah. of the the lens that I wanted to go and have that conversation about. It, your wife, as she's going through this, I'm sure she has some thoughts too as far as if if this were to continue in the fall, which you say it's not going to as far as in Ontario, but if it was, you know, mm. if something happened, again, there was another mm. – uh, outbreak or whatever might be you know what 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 kinds of things has she been saying or or you've heard as far as you know educators as far as in ontario or you yourself as you start seeing these things what are the lessons that you can already tell people are are really taking to heart i think cheryl's done an exceptional job um teaching her class and she's working hard and it's showing in, in like the notes that she's receiving from her parents and, mm. and stuff like that. Um, they really appreciate uh, her work and, and she's been leading 
in a lot of ways as well, like with her team and her staff, um, you know, other kindergarten teachers, um, asking her for advice on how to use some of these tools. Yes. I think she would probably add some tools to her kind of um, bag of tricks for next yes. year if she had to, now that she's... So she took this opportunity, this, this you know, slightly less rigorous schedule, certainly a schedule that didn't require her to be out of the house, you know, for eight hours a day. She was home to to do professional development. She She's basically hooked on Minecraft at this point. Yeah. Uh, probably playing it literally right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, taking, taking professional development with Steve and Kathy Isaacs uh, online um, through Fair Chance Learning. Uh, and that has been fantastic. And um, taking, you know, webinar after webinar or course after course on a whole bunch of different things. Flipgrid, you know, she she actually, um, you know, right at the start of this, she spent, you know, uh, 45 minutes with Joe Merrill, uh, you know, mm -hmm. talking like one-on-one -on -one with Joe, just talking Flipgrid, which was super, super classy of him to take some time to do that. And so I think she would... Um, she said to me, you know, if if I had to do this, you know, next year, you know, I'd get the kids, you know, settled into things like Flipgrid right away um, mm -hmm. so that I could use it the whole year. It's kind of tough to do, you know, uh, in this environment right now, but maybe in September when people would be kind of more uh, you can you start this way, it would be a little bit easier. My sure. biggest takeaway on kind of what we've learned over this last little while it's 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 mostly related to like our physical well-being like our bodies i just don't think our bodies are built to be sitting in a desk chair mm. you know for eight to ten hours a day or or sitting on the couch with a laptop on your lap for Definitely seven counts. hours or six hours or whatever your environment is, or just staring at a screen for, you know, the better part of 12 hours of a day. Yeah. Um, you know, I used to joke all the time that I could like, I could, I could live in my office and I could never go outside and I would be perfectly fine. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure that's true, actually, <laughs> because now I'm doing it. And I, I, I feel like even though I'm doing a lot of the things that I think I'm supposed to do right now, like I'm walking, uh, you know, four kilometers every morning with Cheryl, uh, we go for a morning walk at 7 a.m. If you're looking for me between 7 and 7.45 a.m. Eastern time, I'm walking with mm -hmm. my wife if it's not raining. Um, we go for a walk every day. I'm eating fairly well, um, you know. And drinking a lot of water and, you know, I feel like I'm doing okay, but I just know my body, my my actual body is tired. Mm -hmm. And I think it has a lot to do with just this work environment uh, and sticking, staying at home constantly and not being able or feeling comfortable enough to go out kind of almost anywhere, frankly, yeah. um, has worn me out quite a bit i think that the 
the backyard now that it's nice out and it's and it's the pools open and stuff like that i think that i think the backyard is going to save me a little bit i'm kind of counting on it to be honest i'm kind of counting on being able to take my laptop out to my back porch and and sit out there um and you know i recognize that not a lot of people can do that and that there's there's you know everyone's houses are different and and work environments and living environments are different um but I think that, you know, being confined to home and living basically on a computer constantly is has worn me out physically. Mm. And I, I bet you a lot of people listening are thinking the exact same thing. I mean, and we didn't really know maybe the extent to which yeah. that was going to be the case. Um, and many times when you're teaching, you're like up eight hours a day as far as on your feet and moving around and, and uh, definitely not, you know, confined to a space as you described it and looking at a screen. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about as far as my takeaways and the things that I really want to make sure that I hope we think about next fall and just for future years is we did this thing at in our district, and it happened throughout not even just our school district or our state, but throughout the country where school districts accounted, like really took into account that, hey, maybe we should provide an option for students, especially at the high school level, to take a course for a pass or fail option. Basically to say, hey, I, I just want to meet the requirements of the course to be able to pass it and not have it affect my grade point average. And that concept, Mike, is something that happens at college all the time. You can do that at any time. At almost universities, you can say, hey, I just want to take this for pass-fail. And especially if it was a elective course, whatever else it might be, you might be able to go ahead and do that. I think things like that we should really take into consideration for many of our students Tell them exactly what do they need to do to be able to meet the requirements of passing a course, but don't punish them by giving them a D minus. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As far as in a 4.0 type of scale. So that's one of the things that I was thinking about that should definitely we should take into account. The other part, too, is um, and I'm going to in our interview that's coming up, I actually mentioned Dr. Haskell and I mention him again here, too. He did this gamification course and he was well known for this where in the course itself, uh, everything was, it was part of a a model called quest-based learning, but basically it was gamification and you had to earn a certain number of points to win. Well, what do you mean by winning, Glenn? You you get an A in the class. So in his class, you had to earn 10,000 XP to win the game, right? And his experiences, the things that you actually did, for example, things with Minecraft and things in uh, uh, all kinds of other different virtual worlds and the lesson plans that we created and so on and so forth were worth a specific number of XP if you if you completed them at a high level. That kind of stuff really, not the XP part, but just the thought of saying, hey, students, if you achieve this specific thing, you're going to get this specific grade. And I don't think a lot of, especially high school teachers, think through that process. I think we set up our curriculum. We set up our objectives. We might have our standards there. We might set up all of our units, but we never think through, okay, if I'm a student, 
can you tell me exactly what do I need to do to get, for example, a B in the class? Because that's what I'm sure. going for. And I don't think that we have really thought those types of things through. And I think it's because it scares us to think that, like think that way. For some reason, it's like, oh, the student might abuse that thing by doing X, Y, and Z. And Dr. Haskell found that most of the students not only got the 10,000 XP, but in his research, and he has several research studies that he did on this system, many students just kept going. They're like, eh, let me just see how high of a score I could actually set up. And he had these leaderboards of all-time leaderboards of number of XP. He had all kinds of different quests that you could go and take oh, that, and, and complete. That so would that motivate you, the hell out of me. Yeah, so that you could continue to go and go like, how many points could I actually earn in this thing? How much XP? And so it's interesting as far as the different types of just for being honest with your students and upfront with them, I thought that might be one of the things that we could do. And then the other part, and it's the last thing I was going to think about as far as my takeaway was, I just think that we need to really think through the optimal use of learning management systems. And it doesn't matter if you use Google Classroom or a Schoology or Canvas or whatever else it might be, whatever else you're using. You really have to organize those courses. This is the biggest lesson we've learned. Mm -hmm. Organize them in a way, in the lens of all of the stakeholders. So I'm talking about not what's easy for you, the educator, to be able to organize it, but what is the best way to organize it for your students, for sure, but their parents so that they can help and assist in, in their learning. And then any type of support staff, because we found out this year too that it's important for our support staff, our special educators and uh, education teachers and anybody else that's support staff to be able to go into your course and figure out exactly what it is that the students need to do, where to find it, and then how to basically get them along the path. And you would think that that's how we design all of our courses, but that is not the case. And I think that's something that we can go ahead and do it doesn't matter what kind of learning is taking place next fall as far as yeah. whether it be 100% virtual or it's a blend or whatever it might be, something that we can take uh, as far as a lesson. So ending on some good news. I like ending yes. on good news. Yeah, let's do it. I love this. This is a great story. <laughs> it's a great story. All 65,000 Indiana teachers recognized as Teacher of the Year. Um, they did it. They just said, you know what? We're not going to name one. We're going to name y'all. <laughs> because y'all are doing a good job and yes. crushing it, and um, I love it. I, I think that um, I think that if anything, what this time has shown is how absolutely indispensable educators are, and that their job is really freaking hard, like really yes. hard. And um, you know, there's so many parents that are like, dude, I've been doing this for five minutes and I'm out. <laughs> right. I've been doing this for, and it's just my kid, you know, and I hate my kid already. I don't know how you teach my kid and teach 20 other ones. Um, you know, it's, it's been yeah, eye opening for a lot of parents. Big and, time. um, yeah. And, and I mean, what's funny, Mike too, is, is how many, uh, New York Times articles even have been written by all of these, you know, amazing authors talking about how difficult it has been to do that one thing, which is educate your kid with a specific lesson plan, but have them there 
with you the whole yeah. entire time. How how strange and different it is than what we're actually obviously used to doing. So it, it's awesome that they recognize all the teachers here, all of the teachers throughout the all of North America, throughout the world, because we're all in this together, uh, who were kicking butt and in an emergency learning situation, really were stepping up, learning new things as you you were just speaking. When would you have thought that Cheryl would actually, you know, and it's it's part of this thing, what just happened. This emergency learning has led to people taking risks and saying, I want to learn more about that then. Let yeah. me teach me more about this. I have some, I, I want to invest my time in this because I know it's going to be something interesting. So in this case, it was Minecraft or whatever it might be, Flipgrid, uh, any types of things. Um, but yeah, just in order to be able to do the best job we can with our students. So yes, all 65,000 so, Indiana teachers, but we, we in, on education, we say all of you guys. Oh, uh, look at this. All of you in the entire world, because we actually have seen our, our stats, Mike. There's some people listening to us all over the damn place. Yeah. It's Germany. crazy. Yeah, Germany. Coming has, in from Germany. Yeah. South America and Mexico City. I saw some people. I, I don't know who you are, but whoever you're listening right now, you're awesome. And thank you so much, especially you, you're an educator out there. You're kicking butt. <laughs> you are. Thank you so much. When we come back, we will talk to a, another kick butt educator, Matt Miller. Stay tuned. Go Guardian helps thousands of K-12 school districts maximize the learning potential of over 8 million students. Go Guardian's products enable productive and safe digital learning by helping educators identify learning patterns, protect students from harmful and distracting content, and support mental health. To support schools during their distance learning transition, Go Guardian is offering free access to their entire product suite until the end of the school year. To learn more about GoGuardian and download their free resources about distance learning, visit their distance learning resource center at goguardian.com slash distance learning. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Our guest this week is a former Spanish teacher, author of four books, and a very well-traveled speaker and presenter. His latest book, Tech Like a Pirate, is out now and available anywhere kick-ass education books are found. We're thrilled to have our friend Matt Miller back on the podcast. Welcome back, Matt. Thank you so much. I am super pumped to be hanging out with you guys. So uh, first question we, we tend to ask these days is, how you doing? How's your family? Oh, yeah, we're doing we're doing really well. Um, you know, I live kind of out in the middle of nowhere in West Central Indiana on like 25 acres. So we are very well socially distanced. And um, so everybody's staying nice and healthy. Uh, all three of my kids are done with remote learning. My wife was teaching remotely. And so she's done with all of her stuff, too. And so, uh, yeah, we're we're hanging in there. Thanks for asking. Um, and you I mean, you traveled a lot and you consulted and um, spoke all over the place and and did sessions all over the place um, pretty much full time. Um, how has your work and frankly, your your business changed uh, in the light of, you know, the, the COVID-19? Yeah, a lot. 
to be to be honest, it has changed a lot. My days right now look very different than they did um, pre COVID nineteen. Um, I so like you said, uh, right now my full time gig is ditch that textbook. So I do workshops and keynote speeches and presentations, kind of all over the United States. And then whenever I'm home, um, you know, I'm writing blog posts and recording podcasts and all of that stuff. And so. Since that has changed, now a lot of it has shifted and I'm spending an awful lot of time in my home office where I'm sitting right now, um, yeah, doing a lot of writing. I know um, the demand for ideas um, and support and assistance from teachers just went up exponentially whenever all of this hit and they're just looking for answers. Um, I know that firsthand mm. because I know the, the traffic on my website just spiked. It just went way up as, as people were looking for ideas. And so I kind of felt like it was my job to do my best to lend a hand. And so I feel like I've just been producing content here, just, just nonstop. And so instead of being out, seeing people, talking to people, working with teachers now, I've been a lot of sitting right here. I know what that's like. Um, so I'm not sure if you noticed, but, uh, there was a fun little ed tech tool competition that wrapped up a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah, a sort that's of, right. a sort of, a a sort of March madness um, of ed tech. And it's funny. I, I will say I'm on record as being, uh, I, I'm on the fence now, I guess, but Glenn and I have a pretty fun history of me always bringing up, explain everything uh, oh, mm-hmm. as being like my, the, I used to the call it the one app ever. to rule them all. Like if you, if you could just have one, one desert Island favorite application that you had to have, I used to always say it was explain mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the the final in this March Madness came down to as most people would expect uh, G Suite Google uh, versus uh, Flipgrid, um, <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 Google took took the win. So my question to you, just like I'm have always said, now I'm on the fence now. I'll admit, and I've I've kind of been starting <laughs> to like move towards Flipgrid as my answer lately, um, mm-hmm. instead of explain everything. But what is your desert island all time top tech tool for teaching? Mm-hmm. <sighs> This is such a hard Ooh. question. Um, God, I love this question. Uh huh. Yeah, I bet you do because you like to watch your your guests squirm as they try to answer it. Um, man, and see, I might have a different answer on a different day, but I'll give you the one that I've got right mm-hmm. now. And I think Flipgrid is a great answer to that question. And honestly, I could. I could personally, I'm not a big explain everything guy, but I could make a case for why explain everything could be that. So I would get in that boat with you, Mike, if I had to, it's, it's a good one, but here's the route I'm going to go. I'm going to go not just with G suite, but one particular G suite tool. And that's Google slides. I feel like Mm. so much of what um, I did in the Spanish classroom and so much of what I encourage teachers to do and so much of the stuff that I see people saying, hey, I'm really using that in the classroom comes from Google Slides because, you know, of course you can use it as a slide presentation tool, but that's just scratching the surface. I mean, if you use it as one slide, one slide, almost like a piece of paper, then... um, you know, all of the shapes and the um, images and the lines and the text and everything, you can design them however you want on that one slide. And so it gives you really good design capabilities. So you can make infographics, you can make interactive posters, you can make comic strips using photos from your webcam. The ability to pull the picture in from the webcam is huge, I think. Um, you can use it to make stop motion animation. Um, 
I've seen how, um, you know, Micah Shippey, for instance, posted um, something about using Google Slides to make an app where you have like the app home screen mm-hmm. with the little icons for all different things. And when you click on one, it links to a different slide and then you've got a back to home That's button smart. on every one of them. And mm-hmm. I mean, there's really so much that you can do and you can recreate within slides. And I'll even say now that they've added the add audio feature, now students can create stuff and then they can hit record and they can explain why they did what they did, which adds a huge other element to it. So um, Flipgrid is a good one. I'll give you explain everything, Mike. But if I'm on a <laughs> desert island, I'm sticking with my Google Slides. That's neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, John John Spike is another guy who does some really mm-hmm. cool stuff with Google Slides. He yes. does the choose your own adventure yeah. uh, narrative stories that the games basically make, making games in Google Slides, which is pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's there's just so much that you can do with it, and you know it doesn't even narrow down specifically to Google Slides. You could obviously do this with PowerPoint if you're a Microsoft school. You know, I think PowerPoint has just as many features to it, if not more. If you're using the desktop version, it's got even more. There's even more that you can do with it. So yeah, I think with any of those, when you open your mind to what's possible in it, the the possibilities are endless. So Matt, as an instructional coach, I often see teachers looking to technology for solutions, but solutions for ways of making their lives easier, uh, but often not looking for ways of embedding technology basically into their practice. It's kind of like this separate entity. So what do you see as the key to really integrating technology into the teaching practice and becoming part of it instead of it kind of the separate piece. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I I had to answer that tough question before and now I've got to solve like a huge education prop. That is a fantastic question. That is an amazing question. This is the hard hitting question. You should come to expect. Oh my goodness. You guys should have warned me about this show. Oh, Wow. Okay. All right. No, I think, Glenn, I know, I think I know exactly what you're talking about there. Um, It's sort of in the same vein of the teachers that would say, okay, class, now we're going to go down the hall to the computer lab and we're going to have technology time. And then we're going to come back and then we're going to get back to work. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think um, there was, there was a quote by um, Chris Lehman, uh, the, the founder of, I think he's the founder of the Science Leadership Academy, SLA in Philadelphia. Mm. Um, I've heard him keynote a couple times. And there's one thing that he said that really uh, stuck out to me is that, um, that technology is at its best when it's transparent. And so mm-hmm. that's when I think it's transparent. I can't remember exactly how I said it. I want to say the word... Um, now, well, let's let's stick with transparent. Um, so, and, and here's what I'm, I'm getting at. And the answer to your question is going to be, how do we get there? And I don't know if I'll have an answer to that, but um, the transparent part, it's like you use it and you don't think about it, but you still use it. It's kind of like, let's use another technology. Let's use scissors. You know, you've got to cut something. You pick up a pair of scissors and you cut it and you don't think twice about it. The photocopier, right. if it's not getting jammed, you're not thinking twice about using the photocopier. You're just <laughs> using the photocopier, you know? Doing it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And so um, I think whenever we get to that point and we know all of the basic features and we know how we could use it and we know how it integrates into our lives as educators and even our lives outside of being educators, I think that's when we start to see the true integration. And 
one of the hurdles that I've seen to this and Glenn and Mike, either of you, I'd, I'd love to see if um, yeah. you have any uh, follow up on this. Um, one of the hurdles that I've seen is when teachers are either encouraged or sometimes even forced to learn lots of different new stuff instead of getting familiar with some of the basics. Um, yes. I'll give you an example. Um, a school district near me was a big Google Classroom district, district, and then recently they were like, nope, we're going to Canvas. We're going to switch to Canvas. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I understand that you've got to make those changes sometimes. Like, for heaven's sake, when I started teaching, we were doing Moodle. And if I was still stuck, I know mm-hmm. there are probably still Moodle lovers in the in the audience, and so my apologies to you. <laughs> <Right>. But <laughs> if um, – I know <laughs> – but if you're if you're still using Moodle, you're missing out on some of the cool stuff that's out there. So we've got to evolve, mm-hmm. but I think we also have to minimize all of the flashy gadgets that are out there and help them to mm-hmm. become, you know, fully almost uh, okay. My my friend Holly Clark calls this. Um, there's she calls it digital fluency. This is ahead of digital mm-hmm. literacy, like being literate in a tool. And then she said, then there's being fluent in the tool. And I think that's as close to the transparency as I'm talking about. And so, you know, even the teachers that don't self-identify as techie, if they use something long enough and they figure out how to use it so that they're not thinking about it, almost like a, a pianist who's playing a song that they've played a hundred times. Yeah. I think that's sure. maybe when we start to get there. That's my best answer to that question well, tonight. Like for sure. So one of my favorite educators of all time, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but it, it also one of my favorite people um, is a professor at Boise State University. His name is uh, Chris Haskell, Dr. Haskell. Mm-hmm. And he often talked about creating experiences for our students. He told us as, as, um, as graduate students in his class, rather than creating activities. Um, and the cover of your book really stood out to me because I, I, I read the, the caption there. It said, using classroom technology to create an experience and yeah. make learning memorable. There's something to that, too, because I, I yeah. want you to talk to our audience about how we can sh- uh, strive to create experiences for mm-hmm. our students through classroom technology. And this is kind of that whole tech integration thing. It's whether or not we're going to just use technology to replace an activity. I'm just going to use the worksheet as the example sure. and just replace it. And then just still continue to do that. It, and it really is just an activity. It's not any, an experience, or are we going to use that to, to really do something where it's going to be memorable, something that you're yeah. going to take away forever, you know, as far as uh, the experience in your class. So talk to our audience more about that statement. Cause I, I thought, yeah. I, man, that's something that will make me pick up that book and maybe want to go through it because that's the type of stuff that really yes. makes a difference as far as in our classrooms. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, for me, cause my book is called tech like a pirate. And for me, that line was born out of Dave Burgess's book, teach like a pirate. And that's the first place that I read about something similar to that. His line in his book was don't just teach a lesson, create an experience. And it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't really tied into technology per se. Dave is not, uh, like a super, super techie guy. Um, and he admits that. Um, but I remember, that was like the the mind opening up for me when I started thinking about let's not just do activities um, 
or mm-hmm. let's not just teach lessons, let's create experiences. And so really without realizing it for the last seven years, I've been thinking about this and writing this book. You know, ever since I read that line, I got, I got started and I wanted to figure out what I meant by that. Cause someone could say, let's create an experience and they could mean a whole lot of different things. So for me, and I even lay some of this out at the beginning of the book. Um, for me, it's about attention. That's really what it is in, in my mind as far as an experience. To me, an experience is something that makes you sit up and pay attention. Um, because, you know, obviously if we're not doing anything like that, if we're not engaging kids, it's easy for their mind to wander and for not, them to not even listen or pay attention. And we know that if their attention isn't on what they're learning, then they're not actually learning anything. You know, if they're mm-hmm. staring out like, when I was in high school, my um, social studies class was right next to a, a cattle farm. And so if the lecture was getting boring, we would end up watching cows. And so, you know, if kids are if kids are watching cows instead of listening to because it's true. And I tell you what, those cows did some freaky stuff every once in a while, too. It really disrupted class. But anyway, um, if if we were watching cows instead of listening, we might as well have been out on that farm, out in that, that cow pasture, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But if we have our students' attention, now all of a sudden some stuff can actually start happening. And we don't have to fool ourselves into thinking that action and, you know, the process of going through things is actually leading to learning because we know we've got their attention. And in the book, I even lay out some research that, that backs all of this up, um, and actually, um, when it comes to an experience, I think another part of it is the fact that it is interesting to you, that you're enjoying mm-hmm. the experience. And so, for instance, in Sean Acor's book, um, The Happiness Advantage, he says that people are more productive. I think it's like 39% more productive when they're um, – when their overall being is not at new, is not at negative, it's not at neutral, but it's at positive. And so if their overall mm. being is at positive, in general, we're 39% more productive. Um, I even point to a neuro study science that says that emotional events, and of course, emotion can be very strong positive or very strong negative. But in this, this case, yeah. we'll talk about positive. Um, emotional events have a privileged status in memory. You think about the things that bring you great joy and those come rushing back to your mind in vivid detail. There's something to that in, in our brains. And then, um, the National Institute for Play even talks about how, um, playful learning with playful teachers leads to overall long-term, better, overall better long-term performance. Um, so anyway, mm-hmm. that's my very long answer to your very short question about, an experience. I think it's got to get our attention and I think it's got to be enjoyable. Love it. I'd like to take uh, a chance to take this in a totally different direction for a minute. Anyways. Um, I think it's fair to say uh, when people think of the term edu celebrity uh, that you might be someone that, that comes to mind. It's hard um, not to see uh, some of the tweets these days um, directing, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, hate, vitriol a little bit towards educators with a certain amount of notoriety. Uh, and frankly, you know, they go after the like a pirate type stuff pretty aggressively too, which is, um, 
in my mind, unwarranted. I've seen you work, and we've weighed in on this on the podcast quite a bit the last little while. I've seen you work. I've seen Alice work. I've seen a bunch of, of these people who I actually consider my friends. I've seen you work, and I know the things that people are doing out there and work, grinding, frankly, working their butts off in so much, uh, in so many cases, to help educators um, just be better and do stronger work. Um, and I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, the term edu celebrity and maybe your thoughts on like this, this, why the hate or like the vitriol to, towards this type of stuff. Uh, I'm sure you, you've had to have thought about it maybe even a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I see it. Um, I, Okay. Uh, so many different directions I could take this. Um, I personally, just as a person, have a hard time seeing myself as an edu celebrity. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, and again, we, we could get into the, the war of vocabulary here and trying to figure out exactly how you define that. Um, I do see, that there are some folks that you see out on social media and you see them at some of the conferences and stuff and they feel like they have kind of like a bigger than life personality and they're going to try to get by on their charm and some of their stuff is kind of shallow and they try Mm. to get you on emotion and they're all about selfies and pictures with people and trying to show how important they are. Mm. I think if I was going to give a definition of an edu celebrity, I think that's it because that's a person who is seeking celebrity status. Um mm. I think there's mm-hmm. a whole other set of people. And see, I think it's really easy to look at this superficially and to um, assign somebody or, um, you know, and I'm trying to think of a, a derogatory term for assign, kind of like, um, well, brand. Brand. Yeah, there you go. Um, brand them with that status based on the number of Twitter followers that they have. Um, that's real that's easy. Exactly what they're doing, I think. It's, it is. It's, it's really easy to do that. And it's a very superficial way to try to label a person, categorize a person's mm-hmm. entire being based on a number. Um, I think that's the part that really gets to me because see, there are two ways of going at this. One is to try to put a bunch of fluffy, ridiculous stuff out there that gets likes and gets retweets and gets followers and inflates your numbers. And some people are in it for the game like that. Then there's other people. Um, I'm going to try to put myself in this because this is what I aspire to do. At least I, I don't aspire to put things out there to get lots of likes and retweets and favorites. I try to put things out there. And when I say out there, it could be on social media, on my blog, on the podcast that I do on the YouTube videos that I do. Um, I put lots of stuff out there that I think is quality stuff that is going to make teachers lives um, better or make instruction better for their students. And I think whenever you provide lots of value like that, um, then people appreciate it and they want more of it. And so if that's the case, then maybe they start to follow. And so I think the reason that someone ends up with lots of um, 
you know, lots of vanity metrics, let's call them, um, you know, followers or whatever. Um, it comes for lots of different reasons. And then how they use that platform is different for the different people. And so, um, I'm familiar with the term, um, if I'm being totally honest, I really, really don't like it. And I don't like being, um, I don't be like being, I'm going to, I'm going to use that word you used. I don't like being branded with it because, um, that's just, Mm -hmm. yeah. The, I think the, the way that I define it, it's just not the way that, that I want to operate, but I, yeah, I see it. I I know what you're talking about. I have a really good question now. (laughs) <laughs> okay <laughs> more positive now we're switching gears again this is a roller coaster ride Matt. i know it's a roller coaster i can't keep my breath <laughs> <laughs> um i love asking our guests what they're into right now in terms of content that they're not producing but what they're consuming mm. um things that are inspiring them getting them going getting them up in the morning yeah um what are what are three pieces of media that you can share um that you've you know read looked at lately um that you think that people listening would love to look at as well Yep. Okay. It can be anything. It can be a book. It can be a video. <laughs> it can be whatever, whatever gets you up in the morning. I would love to answer this question. Um, yes, I have, like. I have several things that, that I could mention. Um, I'll tell you one thing that really fascinates me right now is hopefully I'm not going to put anybody to sleep by saying this, but I'm really fascinated by cognitive science. <laughs> um, hmm. The reason I say that is I really feel like when you understand how the brain works, and how the brain prefers to learn. It's almost like um, a key to open like a secret door. You know, it's like um, trying, you know, kind of revealing the mysteries of things that we've all sort of struggled with. And um, there are two books in particular that I just keep coming back to because they um, they speak to that so well. Um, one of them is Culturally Responsive Teaching and the Brain by Zaretta Hammond, which is a fascinating mm. book to me because... Um, this is the reason I keep coming back to it is because it touches so practically and so clearly on a handful of things that I'm really trying to grow and understand and better. One is culturally responsive teaching, um, which is something that I'm just, just starting to learn about, but also it touches very much on cognitive science. It talks about what happens in your brain, uh, when you learn and how you can optimize your learning or sorry, your teaching and learning, um, for what the brain prefers and how you can use a culturally responsive lens, you know, like how you can adjust so that students can see their own experiences and, you know, do things in the way their brain has been trained up for their entire lives. And so, um, that's definitely, it's kind of a, it's kind of a nerdy one, you know, um, that's not something, maybe it's something that you would want to take to the beach and read stuff here. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So um that's definitely one. And then right along that same line, there's another book called Powerful Teaching um, by Dr. Pooja Agarwal and Patrice Bain. And um, it's also based on a lot of cognitive science. But what I love about it is that it gives you practical ways to use it. It's like you don't have to go and read all of these scientific journals and try to wade through all of the legal or the the academic speak. Um they just basically say, here's what it says to do. Here are some ways that you can do it. And, you know, talk about helping your students 
to learn in the way that the brain prefers to learn seems like it's giving them a head start, giving them an extra advantage that they didn't have before. So, um, I, I am really loving both of those. And, um, honestly, the third one, this is one that I come back to a lot. I was actually just reading an article on the site before we came on here. Um, it's got to be Cult of Pedagogy um, by Jennifer Gonzalez. I always learn something mm-hmm. from her, and it seems like she's writing a lot of stuff that's different than what I read other places. And it's always, um, uh, you know, so much of it is backed up by by research and science and, um, you know, proven practice and everything. So um, I'm getting a little bit nerdy on the, you know, the brain science and the pedagogy oh, and everything. But this is this is the stuff that I love. So Matt, where can our audience go to learn more about you, connect with you, or maybe even purchase the, the new book? Yeah. Okay. So a um, couple of places. Uh, so my website, Ditch That Textbook, um, you know, I've got hundreds of posts on there about a variety of ways to use ed tech and to um, level up your teaching. Um, and in fact, if I've got something for free that I can give your listeners if you guys are good with that. Whoa. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I have found that a teacher's favorite price is free. And so, um, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll roll with that. So, um, I've got these three free ebooks that I make available on my site. One of them is called 101 Practical Ways to Ditch That Textbook. Um, I've got another mm-hmm. one on there that's got a whole bunch of, um, downloadable templates that you can use in PowerPoint or Google Slides and, um, just a wide variety of stuff. Um, if they're interested in getting that, they can go to ditchthattextbook.com slash 101 because one of the ebooks is 101 Practical Ways. So um, if they go there, mm-hmm. they can awesome. also get signed up for my email list where they can get, um, you know, ideas once a week, but they do get those, those ebooks for free. Um, that's probably the best way. And then I'm on Twitter like all the time. Um, so my Twitter handle is at J Matt Miller. That's the letter J Matt with two T's Miller. And, uh, Glenn, you mentioned the book. If anybody's interested in that, I would direct them to techlikeapirate.com, which does have a link to where you can purchase it on Amazon, but it also has like dozens of, um, articles and podcast episodes and videos related to the themes in the book. So even if they're not ready to buy the book yet, um, they can already start studying the themes of it and finding ways that they can use it in their class right away. So lots of free stuff in all of that. Amazing. Amazing. Tack like a pirate is out now. And, uh, people should go take a look at that. Matt Miller. Thanks so much for your time. Yep. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter. And I can be found on Twitter at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our podcast rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. 
Check out participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.